So we are in a section of Exodus that uh, you have the Ten Commandments, chapter 20. And then what have you had in chapters 21 and 22? More commandments, the 74 commandments. You have the Ten Commandments, and then you've got all these additional commandments, right? Chapter 23 will actually finish up the additional commandments. And you're like, what in the world, right? All we talk about is the Ten Commandments, but there's a whole bunch more that follow right on the heels of the original 10. So what is the deal? It's like this. So we have this document called the Constitution. And the Constitution has these very high, lofty goals to it. But then with the Constitution, what do we have in addition to the Constitution now? We have amendments to the Constitution. They're directly tied to the Constitution. So by 1791, they had ratified 10 new amendments to the Constitution, which was what? Hey, we really like the Constitution, and it's super good, but practically, how does that work out in this situation? Oh, let's make an amendment. Oh, practically, how does it work out in this situation? Oh, let's make an amendment, right? And now we have 27 amendments to the Constitution because they are saying, yeah, this is the lofty goal, but how does it work out in daily life? And so there's these additions to that. That's kind of what has happened. God gives the Ten Commandments, and instantly, 1791, what? How does this work out? So you begin to see how God's constitution of the kingdom is beginning to work out in the practical lives of his people. All right, so this section actually has a title. It's called the Book of Covenants, and that goes through the end of chapter 23. We got a lot to do. Let's jump in. Verse one, Exodus 23. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many as to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. A lot of application for us here because that happens all the time to me. Dude, your ox, your donkey. <laughs> if you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. I love that. Ha ha, taught him, right? Nope, you can't do that. You shall rescue it with him. You shall not pervert the justice due to your poor in his lawsuit. Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent and righteous for I will not acquit the wicked. And you shall take no bribe for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. That's a mouthful. You could sum it with these three things. Don't slander. 
stop corruption, and have empathy. So first, don't slander. Look at verse one. You shall not spread a false witness. You shall not be a malicious witness or a false report. Have you ever been misrepresented? Someone says something about you that you're like, ah, it stinks, doesn't it? God gets misrepresented all the time. Like I call it bumper sticker theology. Like there's this, are you serious? Like some bumper stickers are funny, but you're like, that's kind of what people believe, right? Like Jesus is coming back, look busy, right? Like that's all Jesus cares about. Like he comes, hey, oh, you're busy. Oh, you're good then, no problem. Or Jesus died for your sins. So make sure and get your money's worth. That's a misrepresentation, isn't it? Just a little bit. (laughs) What's worse is I've heard things in the pulpit that I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that's being preached right here. That's slander. It's taking something kind of true, right? Jesus is returning and we should be about his business, right? But it's misrepresenting. It's twisting it just enough, right? Jesus did die for our sins, right? Where sin abounds, grace abounds. But is that the purpose of that? No, it's a twisting. It's a slander. It's it's taking something that someone said or did and then demonizing them with it. That's what they're doing here. And here's what it leads to. Verse two, you've fallen with the many. Because you guys know what groupthink is? When you start talking about something, what happens is very often everyone begins to just agree with you. Oh, yeah. Now that you mentioned it about that guy, I saw that too. Yeah, they would have never seen it before. But the moment we begin to point things out, slanderously, misrepresentatively, then everyone else is like, yeah, okay. And nothing good comes from that. So be very careful with your words. Don't slander. Number two, stop corruption. Verse three, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. Verse six, you shall not pervert the justice due to the poor in his lawsuit. Verse eight, you shall not take a bribe. A bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. Stop corruption. Notice how much money is talked about in those verses. Poor, bribes, right? Over and over, money. Because if you want to know about corruption, there's an old saying, you follow the Money, right? Like money just leads to corruption. That's what it does. Money changes people. So perhaps you saw the uh, news that came out, I think the beginning of this week. Grover Norquest has this group and this group is a political action committee and their whole premise is this, stop government spending. And they took a giant PPP funding from the federal government. So you're like, oh, just follow the money. Why? Money changes you. Well, you know, we have this excuse. why we have to take them. Well, your whole premise of your pack was stop this. But when it's inconvenient, you follow the money. You have to be very careful because it will change you. So from day one of Edgewater, I know zero about what people give here. 
because I don't want money to change me. I don't want to be like, well, start worrying about saying something because I might offend somebody. Well, they're a big giver, so I better be really, really careful and don't want to say that. I don't want that to happen. I want to be an equal opportunity offender. I want to offend everyone, right? (laughs) So I stay clear of that. I don't want the bribe to change the way I look. We have to be careful, right? So I was talking to a young person recently about their plans and what they're gonna do. And they're headed to college and they said, well, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna get the Oregon Trail card. And I said, why? Do you need the Oregon Trail card? Well, I don't know, it just would be easier. I said, is that the reason why you should take that? And what I explained to this young person was, every little decision you're making right now is building you into the person you're going to become. And those programs, they serve a purpose for people that are down and out and they can't feed themselves. But what has happened now is there's been this corruption and it's corrupting people's heart where it's like, well, it's free money, I'm just gonna take it. Is that what we are now? Be careful. Corruption begins right here. That's where it begins. Be real careful. Ever seen the movie Cinderella Man? About the boxer? Right? He falls on really hard times in the Great Depression. Really hard times. And he takes some money. But later on in that movie, what does he do? When he's made the money, he goes right back to that same person and says, here's the money back. Because he realized what it's doing right here. And I don't want it to do that to me. I don't want to be corrupted by money. And so I'm gonna be very careful about the decisions that I'm making because each of them are building into me what I'm gonna become. And I want to be a person of integrity. Be very, very careful. Corruption stops right, starts right here. If I'm gonna start, stop corruption, guess where I begin? With me. And then I'm able to help somebody else. So stop slandering, stop corruption, and replace it with empathy. Look at verse four. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like Jesus in Matthew chapter four, five, excuse me, verse 44. Love your enemies, right? Jesus knew the Bible. Help a donkey, right? Like help a donkey, help an animal as well. And an animal, a donkey that's fallen under its load, that's crazy. You know how strong donkeys are? Like I did not know how strong donkeys were until uh, my wife and I, Charity, we went to Israel. And we visited this, it's called the St. George's Monastery. And it's on the road to Jericho, straight down in this wadi. These wadis are these dry kind of creek beds that fill up in the wintertime. So here's a picture of it, if we have it. So it's just brilliant. So you hike from way up here, you just hike straight down one mile. It's the steepest, just unbelievable train, just straight down. So you get to the bottom, you look at the monastery, and when you're coming out, there are these little donkeys that you can hire that take you back out of the wadi. So you go down easy, you come out on a donkey. So this guy named Stephen, every group has a Stephen, right? I wanna ride a donkey out of here. So he's like this young guy, 22 years old. I'm like, you're the last one that needs to ride the donkey out, bro. 
So this donkey, like literally you could stand with your feet over it. It's that small of a donkey. He gets on it. The dude that owns it gets on the donkey. Yes. And that donkey, we just took off. Like he's doing the deal down there. We're probably a half mile up that. It comes running by us with two people on it. I could not believe it. It was the most amazing thing in the world. Like ran all the way to the top with both of them on that. And then as we're still going up, they're going back down to trip number two. Like donkeys are phenomenally strong animals. So what it's saying here is this. If you see a donkey in that kind of shape, it's in really bad shape. You help that donkey. Does God care for his creation? Oh man, it's woven throughout, right? When God created animals, what did he say? It's good. It's good. The donkey, it's good. Wait and watch this donkey pull people out of St. George's Monastery. It is good. Now, what's the reason why we're supposed to love our enemies? It's really verse nine. You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. Remember who you are. Why should we love people that are at times unlovable and hard? Because we've been unlovable and hard. Because we've been in their situation. Because we're not better than them. That's why. Life is either going to make you soft or it's gonna make you hard based on how you look at things. Like they're morons, look at those idiots, or yeah, I'm a moron and I'm an idiot as well, but I've received God's grace. You're gonna either grow hard or you're gonna grow soft. It's all based upon how you view yourself. Do you have empathy? So here's my best example of empathy. Many years ago, uh, my daughter was given a goat. Her name is, was Rosemary. She, had, she was pregnant. We didn't know with what. I thought she was just fat because it took forever. So one day, three little baby kids were out there. Like the cute, best pets in the world is a baby goat. They are the cutest thing in the world. So we went from one goat to four goats. And um, Rosemary, when she had those three little kids, she was incessantly baying, just nonstop, 16 hours a day. And it was driving me crazy. So my solution was this. I'm gonna go get one of those dog collars that when you bark, they like shock you. Not a lot of empathy there, right? I'm like, that's what I'm doing, I'm gonna get it. My wife, she's watching Rosemary. She's watching the little kids nursing. She goes, Rosemary is hungry. She is nursing three babies. She is hungry. And she looked at me and she said, I know. <laughs> what do you do then? Uh, okay. So for the next three months, I would go to the Grange, get grain, and every morning I would feed Rosemary. Why? Empathy. I know what that feels like. She's hungry. We're supposed to allow life's sojourning, life's hunger, life's pain to make us soft so that we love even our enemies like we're supposed to. That's what this text is saying. Don't slander. 
stop corruption, and have empathy. Brilliant. This is Old Testament, by the way. Brilliant. Verse 10. This is where God brings in these radical ideas for his time. For the, you know, 1400 BC, these are radical concepts. They shaped the Western Hemisphere. We have what we have today because of these concepts. Verse 10, for six years, you shall sow your land and gather in its yield. But in the seventh year, you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and that what they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. Does God care about animals? Hmm. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do your work. But on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest. Does God care about animals? <laughs> All through here. And the son of your servant, woman, and the alien may be refreshed. Here's radical idea number one. There should be rest in my creation. There should be rest. So if you know the ancient Near Eastern myths, the gods created humans for one purpose, to work to feed them because they didn't like to work. The Torah stands in contrast to that whole idea when God says, uh-uh, no, you're not human de-doings, you are human beings. And one day a week, you're gonna stop everything and just be. Not do, not be busy, not work, not hustle. You're going to just be. The United States, were the worst at this. So when they do polls and surveys, every year, the United States worker works more hours than any other worker in the world. Like, it's hard for us to turn it off. When a man meets another man, what's the first question we ask that man? What do you do? Not, hey, what kind of person are you? What kind of character are you? Or where'd you come from? Those are questions that other nations ask first. We ask, so what do you do? Because that's what's most important to us. We are linked into this just work, 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 work. Being busy is a badge of honor, right? Man, you're killing it, bro. Literally, you're killing it. God says, no. Six days you work. One day you take off. We have two days off. You know why? Because the Jews took off Saturday and the Christians took off Sunday. So then all of a sudden it was just decided, let's take off both. Why not? <laughs> if you look at the world, though, there's this fascinating six-in-one rhythm. It's called a circa septa rhythm. I've mentioned it before, rhythm. And it's like baby's teeth grow for six days, seventh day they rest. Algae in a pond grows for six days. On the seventh day, it doesn't grow. Like it's, you have a, a blood pressure at this level for six days. On the seventh day, it drops down. Your heart rate is at this rate for six days. On the seventh day, like it's, it is woven through the fabric of creation. Because God says, one day a week, you are going to rest. But he goes even further. He says, you're going to work for six years. And the seventh year, you can take the whole year off. How awesome would that be? Right? 
So there are these groups of Christians that are really into keeping like the Old Testament law, right? All the dietary laws and all the, like we have to go to church on this certain day and all that kind of stuff. And they'll, they'll have conversations with me and I always ask them this. So when are you taking off your seventh year? Right? That's in the Bible. When are you taking off the seventh year? I have yet to have one say, oh yeah, I take off of the seventh year. Not a one does it. We're all selective in the way that we work out the Bible. Let's be honest about that. Right? No one takes it off, but I think it would be really, really awesome. Like, it's even give your animals the time off. Like, it, it's broad. Don't pick the stuff off your vineyard. Don't pick the olives off your tree. Give them a break, too. I mean, how crazy is that, right? It's that broad, and it's really, do you trust me? Israel, my people, will you trust me for a full year that I can take care of you without you doing all your stuff? Crazy. Crazy cool. Why, why, why? You know they never did this? You know why? Greed. Greed. Just watching that olive tree. No way. I gotta get them. I gotta make some money, right? It's such a terrible master, greed is. So when we were in Israel for that, we were there for 21 days, three weeks, 21 days. We saw three Sabbaths. It was unbelievable. That from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown, zero. The parks would just erupt with people, families hanging out. It was the coolest thing in the world. You couldn't do anything because it's just the whole nation shuts down. It's the most awesome thing in the world. They have a kosher iPhone. Friday, it knows exactly when sundown is. No matter where you're at, your iPhone shuts off. It will not work. You can be like, Siri, help me. I'm dying. It'll just say, wait till tomorrow. <laughs> Doesn't matter. We're Sabbathing right now. Here's the thing that's really cool. <laughs> wait till tomorrow. <laughs> You'll get your 20 bucks afterwards. <laughs> so Israel has very similar habits to any Western country. They smoke too much, they drink too much, they eat too much, all those things. And yet Israel has the longest lifespan of any nation. You know why? Because they're in God's rhythm. They're living in God's rhythm. That God, Jesus said, listen, man was, wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for men. It's a gift that God gave to you. Take one day and turn it off because it'll make you healthy. It'll make you healthy. And there's a great book by Adam Herschel and it's on the Sabbath. It is brilliant. Read it. It is a fantastic study on what Sabbath means. All right, so radical idea number one, you're a human being. Take one day and just be Right? But then almost wedged in there, it's like when you're resting, God is gonna say here, when you're resting, don't be sinning. Because a lot of people relax and rest by sinning. So look at this, it's wedged right in here. Pay attention, verse 13, to all that I have said to you and make no mention of the names of other gods, Elohim's, nor let it be heard on your lips. 
It's like God says, time out here, before I get to the next radical idea I have, by the way, stay pure. These other gods don't even say their names. Now, why would God say that? Don't even mention the name of them. Is mentioning the name of something creating a reality or something? Do our words have that kind of power? So there's this thing, it's called the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. It's a fancy word for this. When you start talking about something, the next day you end up experiencing or seeing that, right? So Friday night, you're talking about a three-toed yak sloth. Saturday afternoon, you see a three-toed yak sloth. You're like, what in the world? I was just talking about a three-toed yak sloth. That ever happened to you? Right? That's the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. Are you creating that reality? No. Here's what you're doing. You're creating a file in your head, a little place in your head that now is thinking about three-toed yak sloths. So you have made a pass by that three-toed yak sloth 50 times, but now you have this little spot in your brain that's like three-toed yak sloths. There's one. So here's a way to explain it. When you decide to buy a new car, and you're like, this car is me, it fits me, it's original, it's everything that I love. So you go buy a Honda Accord. You're driving it the next day. What do you see everywhere? Why? They were there the day before, you just didn't notice them. That's the, that phenomenon, the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. So here's what God is warning you about. When you start talking about these other gods, here's what happens. You create a little space for them that maybe you could have just walked by that temple. You're like, oh man, I was just talking about that God yesterday. I'm kind of curious. Maybe I'll just pop in there and see what that little God's about. Not just for information's sake. And look out. Look out. When you start creating little pockets in your brain, little files in your brain, you'll fill them up. So the book of Ephesians have, has a lot to say about this. Ephesians chapter five, verse 12 just says this. Don't even speak about the despicable things people do in darkness. So when you're enjoying your Sabbath, be careful. Don't be creating files for sin. Be pure. Let your heart be purified during that time. Be careful. So God's given this little warning. Look out, because this will happen to you. You'll fill that file up with garbage. So don't even mention their names. And then he gets back to radical idea number two. Three times in the year, you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread as I commanded you. You shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib, for in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall keep the feast of harvests, of the first fruits of your labor, of what you sow in the field, you shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year. When you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor, three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened or let the fat of my feast remain until the morning. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of Yahweh your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. There's a command we all keep. 
right? I'm a commandment keeper, man. I have not done that one. <laughs> okay, radical idea number two. Number one is rest. I create this rhythm of rest. Number two is this radical idea of partying. Partying. Three times a year. At Passover and unleavened bread, they go right together. Passover begins unleavened bread. At the harvest, or we would call it Pentecost today, or Shabbat, right? So we were in Israel at Shabbat. All these young people, they literally have come from all over the globe because of this mandate right here, and they congregate 250,000 of these kids, essentially, in Jerusalem, and they would all go down Friday night to the Temple Mount, and there was just, it was, it, it was the coolest thing in the world. They're just everywhere. And then they would get in these circles of these young kids, like 50 of them, and they would just start dancing and they would be chanting, Sabbat Shabbat, Sabbat Shabbat, just over and over and over and over again. It was so fun. So really cool. Go, they're still doing it to this day. And then the Feast of Ingathering, which is also called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. This is God's command. All males, why does he say all males? Because he knows something about you and me. We'll be like, I, I can't do it this year. I can't go down there and have a good time. I know it's fun. I saw the Sabbat Shabbat. Yeah, it's totally fun. But I got this kitchen remodel. Super busy, God. Just can't do it. I just started a new job, you know. It's really important for me to stay here, impress the boss. I just can't do it. Got this hobby, and the hobby's just taking a lot more of my time than I thought I ever would. Can't do it. So what does God say? It is a command. It's in the law, right? You cannot put this. I, I want a bumper sticker that says, party or I will kill you, signed God. And then reference Exodus 23, of course. Like, that's what he's saying. You get down there and you enjoy yourself or I'm going to take you out. This is the law. You do it or else because he knows human nature. I want you guys to enjoy yourself. I want you to celebrate. Because of this text right here, we have four pillars at Edgewater. Corporate worship, what we're doing right now. Worship is not just singing songs, that's praise. Worship is what you do with your life. So corporately, we're coming together, giving a microcosm of what it looks to be a Christ follower. Corporate worship, number two is celebration. Number three is community groups. Number four is mission. We think celebration is that important. Like no one has it better than you and me. We are kids of the king. That doesn't mean it's easier, none of that kind of stuff. It just means I am a kid of the king. Are you kidding me? And I think this has to be put out there because there is this perception of God, misrepresentation of him, that he's a fun hater. And that Christians are like Ned Flanders from The Simpsons, right? So we gotta push back on that and say, no way. No way. And it happens all the time. Let me read for you the book of Nehemiah. This is when they get back together. I've just been looking at this book. We may jump into it after this. So in Nehemiah chapter eight, listen to this. They get everybody together. They're coming back from Babylon. They start to read the Bible. He reads it, he says, verse nine, this day is holy to Yahweh your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. He's like, what are you doing crying, man? This is a happy book. So guess what he says, verse 10. He said to them, go your way. 
eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is a holy day to our Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of Yahweh is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Don't be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Oh, God's not mad at us. Oh, God loves us. Oh, let's party, right? You know what sweet wine means in the Hebrew? Sweet wine, not sweet grape juice, right? That's what it's saying. Go enjoy yourself. You know what the fat means in the Hebrew? Deep fried ice cream <laughs> with a can of carbonated sugar. That's what it's saying. Go enjoy yourself. What did Jesus do when he was on earth? Didn't he hang out with the wrong people? Didn't they start accusing him of things? Like, you're, you're a drunkard, man. You're a wine bibber. Why? Because he was enjoying life. He wasn't a drunkard. He wasn't a wine bibber. But he was hanging out with people having a great time. And so they couldn't stand it. They'd be like, oh, oh. I know it's COVID-19 time, but I don't know how you do this now. But like, I think block parties are awesome. That Christians should be throwing block parties all the time. Like we have this, uh, we have these, these boxcar derbies that are all made up, all these kits. And so just yesterday we were talking about it. What should we do? And so we decided we're gonna do it. We're gonna do a boxcar derby this summer. And we're gonna figure out why. Because we wanna celebrate. We wanna have a great time. We want kids to go down that hill as fast as they can and hopefully not wreck. That's our whole goal. So, Yeah. We have family camps. We have, right, right now, like, I know some parents are like, a treat for my kid is salted dried kale. That's wicked and sinful. So we're, we're redeeming those kids right now in the kid's wing, right? They're having a good time. Because the God is saying right here, radical idea number two, celebrate. Celebrate. Your kids are the king. Celebrate. So, he ends this little section with this nutty little verse. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. So while we were in Israel, they have two separate kitchens, separate dishes. They have milk, dairy, everything. Kitchen, sink, forks, knives, plates, bowls, cups. And then they have meat. They have two completely separate sections because they don't want to accidentally mix a molecule of a mom with a molecule of one of the kids. I'm like, it's so simple. Just eat chicken, right? You can't milk a chicken. So right there, whole thing's taken care of. Get Chick-fil-A over there for crying out loud. <laughs> Where'd this come from? What is it? There's this idea that in Canaan, the land that they were headed into, there was a pagan practice of doing this. No one's discovered it yet. It's hypothetical. One rabbi said this. He said, you do this because you're respecting the mom of the calf or the goat you're eating. It would be disrespectful to do that to that mom. So maybe that's it. I don't know. Nobody knows. Now here, it gets really fascinating. And I'm gonna have to go just faster than I want to. 
Behold, I sent an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression. What in the world? For my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then it will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. Who is this? Very fascinating, right? I try to kind of highlight the things that are like, what? He's able to pardon transgression. Who in the world, right? My name is on him. So there is a whole name theology in the, in the Torah. And you can look at that. There are papers written on it, very extensive, that when God says name, he's also saying nature. Name and nature are very, very tied together. They're almost synonymous, okay? So there's this book. It's called The Unseen Realm by Dr. Michael Heiser. And in it, he argues this, that the Old Testament has a second Yahweh character. There is the transcendent, invisible Yahweh, but then there is the present, tangible Yahweh. And they're synonymous, treated the same over and over. So Genesis 18, Genesis 28, right here, there's these texts. And here's what's really amazing. The oldest Jewish, Jewish like the Talmud and the, the really old commentaries on the Old Testament agree. There's two Yahwehs. That got changed by Judaism in the second century AD. Now there's no two Yahwehs. Now why would it change? Yeah, because of Jesus. Like, oh, wait a second. That seems crazy, right? The Trinity is all over the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 6, 4, the great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. That word one is a cod. It's a plural unity. So when Adam knew his wife and they became one, that's a cod, right? It's two becoming one. It's over and over and over and over and over. It's Isaiah, when the cherubim are praising Yahweh, they say, holy, holy, holy. The thrice holy creator of the universe. Why? It's everywhere. It's everywhere. So here's, here's what's awesome to me. The son of God is going to lead the people of Israel into the promised land of rest. Right? Because what does the son of God do for you and me? Lead you and me into the promised land of rest. That is what the son of God does for us. So it's the same. Brilliant. Okay? Quickly. Verse 23. Seven minutes. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and to the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve Yahweh your God and he will bless your bread and your water and I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate. 
and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land lest, you make, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Three quick things. Number one, you have the conquest of Canaan. And God will say that the children of Israel are to destroy this certain crew. It's very hard for us in the 20th century to look, 21st century, to look back and be like, God is having all those, those individual tribes or those names killed. Like literally, it's this word, Hebrew, karem, which means devoted to destruction. The entire crew. And we're like, ah. But there's only, if you read the, there's, there's just a ton in this. But if you read the names carefully, and I'm gonna try to do this really quick. There's only, there's some that are to be expelled, like you need to push them out of the land, but there's some that need to be killed, right? The groups that God says, these need to be killed, here they are. The Anakim, Rephaim, Amorites, Zuzims, Emin, the sons of Rapha, Goliath comes from them. Each one of those are associated with giants. So if you remember when the 12 spies go into the land, 10 of them are afraid because they say, the Anakim are in there and we are like grasshoppers in their side. They're huge, man. Right, they're 6'4". <laughs> That's too big. So all of these names are associated with giants, right? You even have a little bit of an association between these names in verse 23 and verse 24, they're gods, that they're kind of like squished together. It's one of the same. So here's the big idea. I don't have time. I wish I did. Here's the big idea. God says, destroy them because they are Genesis 6. If you know Genesis 6, it's where the sons of God, the Benai Ah Elohim, come into the daughters of Eve and produce these giants, these, these, these just men of renown, crazy Rephaim, all these, all these kind of creatures, okay? So they're non-human somethings. No one's sure what they are, but it's only this group. And they're all associated with giants. And this is the group that God says, they have to be taken out. All right, so that's number one. Number two, I'll try to sum this up quickly. Hornets. I'm gonna use hornets to get them out. How crazy is that? What happens if you get hit with a swarm of hornets? Right? Yeah. There's like no, I've been stung one time by a hornet that I could not believe. It was in India. I was chasing a lizard. I grabbed it into this bush. There was a hornet nest in there. It hit me on my ring finger and it hit me on my elbow. And I've never, I've been hit by bald-faced hornets. You name it around here. I've never experienced anything like it. Like lightning bolts going up my arm, right? I had to rip off my ring because my finger was just going. And then um, I'm walking around like that. My wife is like, what's wrong? I said, I just got stung by a hornet. So she tells our host and the host is like, what? What'd the hornet look like? I said, it looked like this thing. She's like, ah, and they freak out. And they call this, she was the cook. And normally like Indians are the slim, beautiful kind of people. She was built like a Russian weightlifter. And she like tourniqueted my finger and then she just starts pressing on that wound. I'm like, ah, like my spleen came out that hole. I'm like, ow, that's enough already, right? Goodness. 
Then she like wanted to poke it and then put some kind of curry paste on it. So after all that, I'm like finally got myself together. And then my wife was like, what? why are you guys freaking out? Oh, this lady died from one of those. She's like, my wife is like, oh, he's got another one on his elbow. I'm like, really? Goodness. <laughs> I'd rather die than go through that. Right? You run. Here's what this is saying. God has resources that you and I can't even believe. God can do things, right? So we get this weird thing where we're like, the last option, when we've exhausted everything, we've tried everything, we're like, okay, fine, I'll pray. God, I tried everything, good luck. God's like, I can use hornets, are you kidding me? Okay, so last thing, number three. Here's what God's doing. He's creating a new Eden. Okay, notice these things. Remember, Eden, was there something bad in Eden? A snake. And I'm gonna say a tree. My theology is, that was a bad tree. Because if you eat that tree, it kills you. That's not good. I don't know how the tree got there. I don't know if God put it there. I think maybe it was put there by somebody else. The tree's bad. God says, I'm warning you about that tree. It will kill you. Not a good tree. Bad snake, bad tree, right? Adam's job, get rid of the snake, right? Subdue. It's a military term. Subdue the snake. Get the bad out of there. Israel's job going into this new Eden is what? There's bad in there. The Anakim are in there. The Rephiim, the sons of Rephia. You've got to get the bad out of there. The snake is back, it's mutated. You need to take care of that evil. Drive it out. And if you do, verse 25, you have a ton to eat, right? You're gonna have all this food, bread and water, and then I will take sickness away from you. How cool would that be? No cancer. No COVID-19. How cool would that be? Not gonna happen there, right? On top of that, you will not be barren or miscarry. You're going to be fruitful and to multiply. These Eden-like promises are right in here, right? The whole thing is like that. It's God saying, hey, I'm gonna create a new Eden with you. Now what happens? They have one condition. Just don't worship their gods. And what do they do? Worship their gods. Right? Jeremiah 32, 33, they did things worse than I could even think, God says. I didn't think you would sacrifice your children to Moloch. It didn't even come into my mind that you would do that. Right? Did they keep the Sabbath days? No. Did they keep the Sabbath years? No. Right? So they're off. They're off. They fail. But Isaiah comes in at this time, and Isaiah, his whole message is this. There's one coming. He will be Israel, and he'll do it. And he'll be the one that creates a new Eden called Revelation 21 and 22, where you and I, our destiny is where sin is gone, where every disease is gone, where we live in Eden the way it's supposed to be. And he's the one that ultimately crushes the serpent's head. That's the Bible. Jesus, thank you for Exodus. Bless us as we go. Amen.